things girlfriends share. Welcome to Girlfriend It, hosted by women for women on a variety of topics most relevant to our daily lives. Weekly, we have incredible, inspiring, and influential guests as we explore everything from why ambitious women don't quite reach their full potential to how we deal with the dailiness of life. Together, we will hear compelling stories of other individuals in hopes of one thing. How do we get to know ourselves? Well, welcome to Girlfriend It. This is Patty Lynn Wyatt. I will be your host today. And this is our second episode with David and Krista Dunham. And uh, you know what? Am I saying your name correctly? Yeah, Dunham. 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 Yeah, that's, that's fine. That's good. That's good enough for you all. Yeah, <laughs> we're, we're pretty low key. So, order <laughs> and millions more with a binging disorder. Uh, eating disorders today have the highest mortality rate of any mental illness, and this particular statistic threw me. That in, in 2012, in America, we lost 34,000 to breast cancer, but 300,000 to an eating disorder. Uh, this is something that we have to wake up to. We have a tendency to just go, oh, yeah, that's kind of more of a, of a college gig. And yeah, you know, they're, they're eating too much, so they're throwing up for fun. What, whatever, we're packaging this. But to find out that this is truly killing not only women, but but men as well. And it starts happening as young as nine, 10 years of age. So we are, are talking to authors, uh, David and Krista. They wrote the book, Table for Two, Biblical Counsel for Eating Disorders. And Dave, you have your Master's of Divinity at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. You also wrote a book on addictive habits. So I, I would like to talk about the addictive part of, of yeah. um, an eating disorder. And Krista, you actually had um, bulimia for almost a decade, and you were able to move past that. Uh, so with that, I, I would like to start with the addictive part of it. Uh, do you feel like, I know it's it's a mental disease, right? Is that kind of where where we've landed on this? You know, there's, there's lots of debate on all these issues about what the best categories are for description. Uh, we, just, we just focus on, we, we know that there are motives in our heart and we know that there is impact in our brains and bodies. So we'll let all the technical experts, uh, you know, debate and negotiate the best definitions, but we know the lived experience and we know the, the best way forward uh, as the word of God helps us to navigate it. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, we, we let those experts deal with that. <laughs> <laughs> well, what part of the addictive yeah. like, behavior would you, would you say it is? Yeah. You know, we... Most people talk about addictions across a couple of categories. They'll talk about um, dependency, uh, tolerance, and withdrawal. And so the idea that I begin to depend on this this habit um, for good functioning. Uh, so you know, in a lot of people's cases, if they can't perform their um, eating ritual or their uh, purging ritual, it becomes very disorienting. They become agitated. They feel like they're not functioning well. So there's a dependency. Tolerance is, uh, you know, I get used to the behaviors, and so I need more behaviors to, to feel the same way. 
Uh, so, you know, in Krista's case, it wasn't enough just to exercise. It was exercise in excess, uh, you know, skipping classes to go to the gym and working out at two and three in the morning and uh, those kinds of things. And then the last one is uh, withdraw. I, I feel different when this uh, when this I feel uncomfortable. I feel upset. I feel my body is responding in really negative and unhealthy ways. And so for people, especially if they've gone into purging behaviors, their body starts to change. They don't experience uh, themselves the same way. They don't have a good understanding of fullness or hunger. Their body doesn't process food the way it's supposed to because they uh, you know, don't use their body right. And so all of those things start to impact us. I think what's most perhaps um, significant about the addictive side of it is you do get a bit of a high from mm. sort of psychological high from the behaviors or from the presence of, of, you know, X amount of calories in my body. And so uh, binge eating disorder, all that food is being processed. It, it gives me certain kinds of physical chemical reactions. Mm -hmm. Or if you're involved in restrictive or purging behaviors, that gives me certain, certain sorts of psychological highs, feeling good as a result of meeting my uh, behavioral desire. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's always short-lived. Yeah. Yeah, which is interesting because you know that, right? You, you, the research shows, especially I know, I know with an eating disorder, you have anorexia and you also have bulimia. But from what I've heard with the bulimia, that like you said, your body starts getting used to it. So even though you're purging this food, now your body is just used to the caloric intake. Mm -hmm. And so you're not really losing weight. Right. So this yeah. comfort of, of eating, but yeah, it's changing your, your, your body, yet alone what it's yeah. doing to your insides. And that's, what's mm -hmm. interesting to me is when you're talking to someone and you're telling them, but this is what's happening. Like your mm -hmm. teeth are decaying and you, you know, whatever it is from nosebleeds to your th sore throats to this mm -hmm. horrific thing that's happening in, inside of you. And yet Mm -hmm. They have the head knowledge, but they still then will go and do that. So Krista, yeah. did you have that head knowledge and yet it, it's, you're, you're able to compartmentalize this? Yeah, I, I definitely did. Cause I, I'm a person who likes to research. I like to study. I like to know things. And so right off the bat, when I thought, what is going on with me? I read books, you know, from the library and I, mm -hmm. I bought books and I read all this stuff about it. And yeah, there was definitely, um, a whole thinking process of, yeah, I'm reading this. Yeah. I see what's happening. I, I don't care because I have this goal in mind that all those mm -hmm. other things are just you know, keeping me from this, this goal. And so I just have to keep pressing through, like, mm -hmm. I will one day get to that, if I can just press through the other things that are around mm -hmm. me. And there's so much about it that just that does start to change the way that you're thinking. Um, so that things are not, um, you know, the truth is not 
there anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, you you start to believe that what you're telling yourself is is actually the truth. And you, you know, you've changed all of that so much that you, you aren't believing the truth anymore. Mm -hmm. One of the, one of the clear signs that you've developed an addictive habit is that negative life consequences are not enough to motivate your change. Mm. Uh, And that's often the case in these situations, sadly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, a couple of things. When you said a goal, Krista, was that a weight goal? Because I, I have noticed that quite a few girls that I've talked to with eating disorders, uh, first of all, it's blamed on, on mom. Mm-hmm. And, but I heard that that's actually a myth. It's something yeah. that we have a tendency to want to blame it on, uh, on our parents. But that dysmorphia is is a part of our culture and everything that that comes through that. So I think moms, if you're watching this, you can kind of breathe. Uh, you can help your your children, but uh, you can get rid of that that guilt. When you said goal, because I I look back and uh, I actually went on a a diet with my sisters and my mom when I was in high school, and we lost weight, which I look back now and I, I laugh because there was not weight to lose. So mm-hmm. why? So that's the blame, the mom blame, right? Because I'm like, why would my mom allow me? I was this athlete that did not need to be losing weight. Uh, but it wasn't. I mean, she's just losing weight for herself. And she's thinking, oh, yeah, if you girls want to. She saw it as we were having a healthier way of eating. But once I lost the weight and then I went to college, and then you put on that weight. It was all about the goal of, I have to run. I ha- I'll go run 10 miles after a Thanksgiving dinner because I can't now put this weight back on. Um, so that's, you know, that trigger there. So was your goal just simply weight when you said goal? Um, I, I actually think that it changed at times and you know, as we've talked about, I think there was just this general goal of feeling in control. Um, so the weight was just a manifestation of that. So sometimes it was the weight, but at other times it was just that feeling of, I've got this under control. So if for a day I, you know, ate exactly what was on my list, then like, then that was my goal. And it just always felt like there was this need for, if I felt control enough, then I could stop. And I never, ever got there. I never got to a place where this is all in my control because Mm -hmm. that is not how we're designed. It's not how the world is designed. Mm -hmm. And so, um, yeah, I would just say that my goal changed, um, and the, the manifestation of my goal changed, but it was mm. generally always when I feel control enough, then, then I will have reached it. And that's yeah. pretty common. I think for most people, the motive that started their behavior is not the motive that maintains it. Mm. So it shifts along the, the, the way, because for many people, they'll reach their desired weight and it's not satisfying. Um, it's not, you know, uh, it doesn't make them feel better or they don't feel like they look the way that they thought they were going to look. And so the goal shifts. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, how does this affect uh, well, a couple of things here? I'd like to know how it affects your loved ones, because Krista, you said uh, telling someone and getting that support 
I, I heard from someone that there's two things, having that connection, having that community of people that, that will support you, and then having a structure. That structure really helped them because it's like even, you know, meal prepping, whatever to, because for some people it is a control thing. And so that helped uh, rather than just going to the grocery store when you're hungry and all of a sudden, you know, buying every food you possibly can and you are, you're actually buying things that you know would be good to throw up. Like I can buy this and if I drink this with it, this is a good combo. Somebody actually shared, you know, ice cream, chocolate, that's really not a good thing to, to throw up. But this, you know, a brownie on the other hand, or, you know, pasta, that's a really good thing to throw up. So that's interesting that they eat, you know, to even plan what you're going to binge. And then as much as not having food in your refrigerator, so now you're looking in the trash um, I know the the movie is it Crown with Princess Di showed her continuously. She had bulimia of finding control that way, but it it looked like she did not share this disease with anyone. So she was in that shame just by herself. Uh, so back to that question: How does that affect the people that are around you? And then feeling like it's you have no hope. And so talk about where you finally realize, okay, there is hope here. Yeah. I mean, generally, you know, the people that are trying to offer help end up feeling very helpless themselves Mm -hmm. because, um, you know, we're not generally educated on what to even do. And, um, but there's a sense of, you know, loss of control for them as well, because they can't, like, he couldn't control what I do. He could tell me, you know, and help me and, and all these other things. But if I wasn't going to act on it and I wasn't going to do anything, then, you know, he had to sit by and watch that and say, I, even if he did everything perfectly and I chose not to do it, that just helplessness Mm -hmm. he had to feel and other people, you know, in my family had to feel, um, yeah, that would be totally overwhelming. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, a lot of loved ones, uh, start to feel the relationship breaking down. So, you know, mm-hmm. you know, for Krista, there was a, a hesitancy to go to social events because she didn't want to have to eat or she was afraid of how she would interact with the food. And so there was a little bit of distance that started to build up uh, even between, you know, us and other friends, you know, going out with other people or things was always a weighty decision for her. Uh, and so there's an isolation and an insecurity relationally that starts to develop from the, the eating disorder itself. Mm-hmm. Well, in, in your book, uh, it's, it's designed to, to be used where yeah. you actually are providing tools. Uh, how can you just give us one of your interactive exercises? Yeah. From the book? yeah. One of my favorite ones is um, so the goal is each chapter gives an interactive exercise for the sufferer and for the helper. So uh, one, you know, often we're asking the sufferer to describe their symptoms, to describe their feelings, their experience to their helper. But one of my favorite exercises for helpers is actually a a listening evaluation. Mm -hmm. How good of a listener are you as a helper? So one of the things that that Krista said was actually most helpful over the long term was my 
ability to learn to listen to her emotions and try to empathize with those. Mm -hmm. uh, instead of trying to offer simplistic solutions, we'll just eat this or let's just do that. Or, um, but to listen to the, the hurt and the, the concern and the anxiety and the insecurity. And so we, we have an evaluation that asks the helper to actually rate how they're doing at listening. And it goes through a number of questions. And so you get a chance to, to learn to grow. We're, we're all pretty terrible listeners generally. And so mm -hmm learning to get better at that so that we can help the loved ones in our life. Uh, I think that's just a helpful resource in that regard. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Isn't that crazy? I'm a really good teller. <laughs> I have all of the answers and I can definitely tell you how, how to do it. And, and that's the part that's interesting because it's so easy to look at someone who is struggling. And especially since this is a brain disease, because once again, if, if you were um, a diabetic, we would know, okay, this is what you need and have you, are you taking care of yourself in this way? So with, with someone with an eating disorder, how do you say, you know, do you have your insulin or do you have, you know, because of that relationship with food. So to think that part of the healing process is listening and not telling them is, is crazy because I, I want to tell you and, and deep down, we all kind of know what to do. Mm. It, it's doing it. Mm. So I would think that somebody telling me what to do is going to be more frustrating because like you said, Krista, you're, you love research. You're reading all this book, all these books, you have all this information and then you're not applying what you've learned, but then someone else is coming along, especially someone that loves you yeah. and starts telling you what to do. You know, who doesn't want to go face down in chocolate pie after, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, it's like I'm already beating myself up and now you're going to come along and, and beat me up as well. But for someone outside looking in, I think it would be frustrating because it's like, yeah. well, just do this, just stop throwing up. I mean, you've had 20 cavities in the last two months. Like what, what is your problem? Why can you not stop? So Krista, when, when David's over here asking you, do you actually feel this sense of, you know, he's listening, he's asking you these questions. Does that calm you down? Does that help you with those trigger points? Um, I mean, I definitely felt like, you know, there, there comes this process of, there's, there's times for listening, but to completely cut out the telling would be ineffective as well. So um, I think just the listening allowed for me to feel like, okay, this, this is legitimate. Like I'm not just being, it's not being simplified to just stop or just do this, just whatever. Mm -hmm. um, my feelings are being, you know, legitimately heard. And so that makes the connection to me that they are, they are legitimate feelings. Mm. And regardless of whether they make sense to him or not, they are legitimate mm. feelings. And so to just keep that in mind mm. and then have those moments when he does speak that, that holds such, you know, incredible weight more so than just telling me every time, stop it, stop mm. it, stop it, stop it, you know, to just have this level of, okay, you're hearing me, you mm. hear what I'm saying, you're recognizing that this is actually how I'm feeling. Well, then when you say, well, 
now that you're feeling this way, I do want to say this, then it, it holds more weight. It's not just a lecture and it's not just pointing fingers. And um, I mean, it makes me think Proverbs says he who speaks before he hears is a fool. Mm. And so the idea that I would try to offer advice without really understanding the unique person sitting across from me, this, this woman, this, this person that I love and care about, assuming I know why she does what she does or that it's just a simple solution really minimizes all the hurt and sorrow and difficulty with which her life is, has been involved. And so to listen allows me to then tailor my, my suggestions, my counsel, my care into actually meaningful and helpful ways, not trite and, and harmful ways. Mm-hmm. Now, you all have children. Yes. So how do you think this is affecting? Well, a couple of questions, because you're also a pastor at your ch- church when you wrote this book, did people come out of the woodwork to talk about this with you? Uh, did you find that it opened up, you know, a different conversation? And then also, how is it affecting your children and how you talk about food and their relationship with food as well? I think we have yet to see um, the amount of people that would be affected particularly by the eating disorder aspect of the book. But we've had lots of people at our church read it and say, I don't struggle with this, but I understand it better. Or Mm. even that it has allowed me to understand my struggle Mm. with something else Mm. better. And so that's what we're seeing, at least right now. I think uh, over the course of time, I am hoping that people will come out. I think it's, you know, it's hard. I Mm. I know it's hard. And so just, um, I think right off the bat, we're not, we're not seeing that as much. I think right now, our book's only been out since the, you know, the 26th. So, um, but I guess to address your question about, um, about our kids, um, I think it's opened a door for me to talk to my daughter. She's 13 and where she didn't really know what an eating disorder was. Um, and my sister even talked to me about this, about my nephew, that they were just thinking, oh, it's when somebody has trouble um, physically just chewing, swallowing, eating, or mm. it's, um, yeah, what did Mia talk to me mm. about? Um, just various things like that. They weren't in completely understanding what it was. So to open that door even at this, this age level to say, well, this is what it is. If you're seeing this book laying around our house, like, I want to tell you now, you know, my story where I I don't think I had taken the time like I, Mm. like I should, or, or just even at this point, like making, um, an effort then to share it with her. It's, it's a good time to do that. And I think because of the, you know, because of Krista's history, she was always very careful about, uh, the way that we talked about food or interacted with food as a family. So, you know, we didn't, you know, she was good about not offering, you know, food to the kids as a, as a, you know, pacifier sort of, you know, oh, I'm so sorry, here's a cookie. Uh, she was very careful about sort of uh, having them develop a, a healthy relationship with food as well. You know, our, our 13-year-old daughter talks about dieting and health because that's what all her classmates talk about. And we're always very, you know, careful to just sort of, uh, uh, 
uh, sort of minimize some of that issue and let her know, you know, that's not for you. You don't need to worry about those things. You know, dieting can put you down a trail that's not very fun. And, um, you know, just try to talk to her about health versus diet and weight and those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I guess in some sense, I, you know, we've talked about it um, on that end of it, like just making it a part of the culture of our home. And now that she's the age that she is, um, it, it was a opportune time to really say, well, this, this is a problem and this is mm. the, you know, this is the issue. And so it, it has worked out well, I think in our family, um, to be able to talk about it specifically now where we've just generally talked about it before. Mm. Mm. Well, I, I spoke with, um, a younger gal. She was in her twenties that she was at a point where she was, purging up to 15 times a day Mm. and just in this place of such helplessness. And was there ever a time Krista that you just thought, okay, I, there's no hope here. Um, Mm. or even at a time where you were at that place where every single meal you were just purging. And when you got to that point, what, what did you do for just that hope in your life? Um, well, I, yeah, I think I multiple times reached that point where I thought I'm working on this and it still looks like this. Mm-hmm. And so, um, but I think just taking those moments to, um, I think what I share, you know, with my counselees sometimes is just continued obedience over the long haul instead of this like sprint to the finish. Mm. And it, I think developing that mindset helped me to move out of those helpless moments to mm-hmm. say, I know these are going to happen. Yeah. Um, and to have a helper that could tell you that. And when, you know, a lot of times I wasn't thinking that way, but someone else could tell me like mm-hmm. these, these things happen. And like, it is, it does feel helpless and, you know, and it may feel hopeless to you, but it's not, yeah. you know, you, you can take the next step tomorrow and, you can continue obedience even. Um, and so I think just moving, continuing to look towards God and, um, and continuing to trust in what Christ had done for me, um, just continuing in my steps forward and not, not facing back. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, well with that, we just have a couple more minutes before our show is over and, uh, please Go run and grab this book if you are struggling at all. Table for Two, Biblical Counsel for Eating Disorders. And subscribe to Girlfriend It. We are passionate about moving you from here to there. You were created for a divine design beyond limits. So tag you are it. We are in it together. And we have another minute for you guys just to share I I know, Christy, you just went and shared that tip, but what is something that has helped just ground you and now you are pretty much recovered from this eating disorder, uh, but you said, I still, you know, struggle with this relationship with food. So what is something that you can just share with our listeners? Um, Well, to know that I did not have to get it perfect and that my life did not have to be perfect was a huge thing for me to know that that Christ lived a perfect life for me. I didn't have to. He he died a substitutionary death for me and I didn't have to do that 
Um, mm. that's, that was a huge thing for me to change in my heart to know I didn't have to be perfect. Someone else already had done that. It was, it was Christ's job. Yeah, that's great. Thank you guys so much. Thanks, Krista. Thanks, David, uh, for being on the show. And I love that. It's okay to not be okay. And, and Christ is taking it for us. So with that, we will talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to Girlfriend It, because our girlfriends are where we get our best tips for life. Find us on Facebook at Girlfriend It. Hit subscribe to iTunes or toginet.com. 